0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Get ready for another episode of Sherry Clip with your host, Sherry Johnson.
1: And welcome to Sherry Clip. Wow, just another exciting show I have on tonight and something that people really need to tune into and listen to because this is going to be a topic we're all going to want to know about and hear about. But first of all, I just want to go into talking a quick little second about a gentleman I found online. His name is Kirk Self, and he is a.k.a. White Cheddar. He's a rapper who's walking... From Chicago to Compton, California, to raise awareness for after school music education. And you can check him out hashtag straight into Campton. You can go on Facebook. You can also check out Kirk Sales and what he's doing that sells as an S E L L S. And it, it's just amazing. He's walking like 2,500 miles right now, and he's like, I think, 21 days into his trip. Um, I'll get back to you with more information on my next show tomorrow or even tonight in, at my 9 o'clock, and we'll let you know exactly how many miles he has walked so far. And what's really great is he met Logan Mayberry on the way, and Logan is, started walking with Kirk a couple days ago. Um, and this is just an amazing thing. We got two young guys out there walking 2,500 miles or so from Chicago, Illinois. That's right, Chicago, Illinois to compton california to raise awareness for after school music education and like i said kirk's other name is white chetta you can check him out on facebook um and you can also check him out on youtube i believe he has some youtube videos of what he does musically with rapping and it's really interesting i checked out some of it it's kind of some funny stuff so check him out and good luck to these guys we wish them the best of luck Now, tonight on my show, we have been advertising Mark Hesco, and he is an author and really exciting guy, and I'd like to welcome him to the show tonight. Mark, are you with me?
2: Yes, I am. Hello, everybody.
1: Thank you so much for joining me. Now, Mark, you have an amazing story to tell about who you are and what you're all about, and I'll let you go into that right now.
2: Okay. Well, I am an ex-veteran that served on the demilitarized zone in South Korea back in the years of 1978 to 1991. Uh, a little-known fact that a lot of folks here in the States never knew what was going on there. We actually, I call them, I had 385 combat patrols. Everybody else had the patrols, but we were loaded and geared out for combat. If we engaged the enemy, we were to engage back. Uh, And a lot of times it happened. Uh, But a lot of this got covered up by the military and the government because they had their own little secret war going on up there. And uh, nobody ever heard about it. We didn't have CNN embedded with us, and we didn't have, you know, the cell phone deal and all that kind of stuff with us. Everything was restricted there. Your your mail was even checked to make sure that nothing leaked. And, uh, you know, I did my patrols up there, and I've had – you know, like a little 395 uh, missions, I could say I probably had about 200 engagements. Mm-hmm. I've had some confirms that were with the North that were we brought back bodies. But all that's been covered up. And the reason I'm so hot on this subject is there's about 5.5 million DMZ vets that are, have served up there, and they're being denied their benefits at the VA and uh, nobody, because nobody wants to admit that this was going on, so they just tell them, they turn them away and say, well, we we have no record of any of this, nowhere. And actually, they don't. Uh, I worked at a brigade tactical operations center that got all the reports from there, and we burned them every 90 days, all the reports that came in, there was no evidence. We burned everything. So everything that went on there was really, really hush-hush. you know, I went over there in 78. My brother-in-law taught me to go to Korea in 78, and, uh, you know, I thought it was going to be a nice tour. In two weeks, I was in a firefight. Boy, was I was I rudely awakened. But I had nine missions up onto the Z, uh, uh, and I rotated in a different infantry battalions in the South Korea. And uh, it was quite an experience. I mean... It was an eye-opener when later in my life when I got down here and people started talking about this, and I tried to look it up on the Internet. You can look it up for yourself. Uh, there's nothing out there about the DMZ. Maybe in the 60s, the late 60s, uh, there's a little bit. Okay, they call it the Second Korean War. That's where the, mm-hmm. uh, Kim Il-sung had joined with the, the Vietnamese leader and said that he was going to go ahead and uh, attack, start attacking the uh, Americans in the DMZ they're in a tet offensive. But uh a lot of what we'd done up there was hushed up. And we worked in a in an active minefield. In other words, we walked around in a live minefield. They weren't marked anywhere. You could have stepped on a mine anywhere. Doing our patrols. And hmm. uh we've just recently found out that the US Army has been using defoliant agent orange and now they're denying that. And they've got the evidence where it's, it's been in Humphreys, it's been up on the DMZ, it's been all over the places like I'm going to name, like what the Western Corridor, where most of the camps, uh, camps were at, uh, and a lot of them over in towards uh, Tongachan, which is where Camp Casey would have been. But they've got, them as far, they've got the Defolian as far south as a storage facility that was buried in the ground they just recently un- uncovered it at Camp Humphreys, which is way on the other side of Seoul, which is about, it might be 100 miles away from the DMZ. So yeah, we've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> wow.
1: Um, I, I and I've never actually heard about it, um, before myself either. So this is this is pretty new to me to hear.
2: Yeah. This uh um uh, I've got, I've written two books, uh one's called uh Call Sign Purple Threes. It's an actual uh autobiography and it just leaves it goes about the preparation and the execution and doing doing the mission. And all the rigmarole that we had to go through to, to get to go out on our mission, you know, they just didn't give us a weapon to say, okay, you're you're out there, go out and do what you got to do. They they had us, we had to go jump ropes and hoops and do a dog and pony show before we could go out there. And when we got out there, we would get a, a heat source, an unidentified person, and these guys, the North Koreans, all we were going against their special forces. We were a regular army. And they've got, like, 180,000 special forces stationed along the DMZ. And they infiltrate in, and their main mission is to shag an American patrol. If they can kill or capture an American and bring him back across the border, then they've got a, a legit reason to have an armistice uh, meeting and say that we violated the armistice and we're, caught, we're, 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 uh, we're causing an a act of war. So... That was their main mission. That was inside the DMZ. That was our big concern. But I didn't. Me, you, you got three tiers that you have to go through. You have to identify a person.
0: Somebody else has to identify
2: them inside your patrol. That should be two, two visual types of a person that's that's out there, a, a heat source, another unidentified personnel. And then you got to call the DMZ talk, and they got to get the OIC or the colonel involved, the light colonel, and then he's got to make a decision. And if he doesn't know what to do, then he calls Brigade, and Brigade has to make a decision. If they can't make a decision, it goes up to division level, okay? All this time this is going on, you could be in a firefight. I'm talking all out. A firefight may last only 15, 20 seconds, okay, but it seems like forever, okay? But they could be throwing grenades at you. They could be advancing on you. And you're waiting there on the radio waiting for them to give you a call before you can fire. I didn't I didn't do that. If I started receiving fire and it was danger close and I thought people were gonna get killed I returned fire. I got my ass chewed, I got I got chewed out a lot, so but in the end of it the, the, the people with the breath and the higher end of the said it was it is the right thing to save our lives, so
1: wow. now yeah. Mark how how long did you serve? In what branch did you serve in the military?
2: Well, I served in I, I served for 15 years. I was in the U.S. Army. I was 11 Hotel, not an infantry guy. That was my secondary MOS. I had that was my secondary MOS was 11 Bravo. So when I went to the Z, they took me out of my 11 Hotel slot and put me in an infantry slot and made me a patrol leader. Okay, and uh, that's how I ended up with so many patrols. I've got about. Out of all the patrols I still got on Facebook right now, I've met out of them about four or five hundred of them guys still know me. We all talk about old times and being up there and all this and that.
1: Wow. Right. No, No, this is, to me it makes me wonder, like, why did you decide to enlist in something like this? What made you decide
2: that? I, I decided to enlist. Back in '78, after I got out of high school, I went. I'm from North Hollywood High School. I went to North Hollywood High School. I was born in North Hollywood, California. Uh, I'm an American Indian Seminole, so blooded. Uh I left uh, because I didn't see a future at that time. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I said I'm going to go join. I was going to join the Navy, but I didn't pass their eye test. So for the job I wanted, so I went over to the Army, and they took me in. And my brother-in-law talked me into going to Korea. I could have killed him when I got there. Because in two weeks, I was in a firefight right in front of Garpo's cars, and we had three confirmed oh, kills there. So, I, I yeah, <laughs> my eyes got opened real fast. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I didn't finish uh I went to Fort Drum in 91, and it was a training battalion, more or less. And they didn't want me to add any of my experiences or any of my technical knowledge to what they were teaching their cohort people. They wanted to, to do it right out of the book. So I just didn't fit the mold. I didn't fit in. So I just said, I'm going to hang it up and let the younger generation take it over.
0: Wow.
1: Oh, it's, it's just amazing. And How long did, did, did you get to stay in and finish out your service enlistment or? No,
2: no, no. I, I hung it up. I, I took... I was there in the Clinton years, and uh, he offered us a, a large amount of money to get out. And I didn't see a future with the way Drum was set up. I was going to be there at least two years, and I just was tired of knocking heads. I mean, I had made uh, i had I had made my own little SOP of how to train my guys, and it was different from theirs, and and they didn't like it. So we were all constantly bumping heads, and. You know, I was on the low end of the stick. With I was, I was like trying to swim upstream with these guys, so I just got tired of it and said, "Nah, it's time to get out." So.
1: Wow! Now, with all these experiences, I can see why you wanted to move, to write a book. I mean, does, is your book close to what really happened?
2: Call Sign Purple Three is the first book. I say again, Call okay. Sign Purple Three. Uh, it, that's how that book is an autobiography. I've got some memoirs here that I wrote while I was up there, and uh, that's as close and as real as it gets. to What we did, as far as preparation at Warrior Base was, uh, we also called Warrior Base Tenth City. Uh, we would get you'd stay there and you'd have a few days of studying to, to learn all your. You, you couldn't carry anything written down inside the DMZ. You had to memorize everything. Okay. Uh, everything, and it was a ton of information you had to memorize. And then you uh, you did your rehearsals, and then you went through inspections, and then you went out on patrol. It was a, like a three or four day uh, cycle that you went through. I'm going to say a three day cycle, but it could have been a four. I can't remember right now. But I, I wrote in the book. I think it said three or four, four day cycle. But the fourth day was actually your patrol day, so it's got to be a three day build up to that. And, um, you know, you go out there and you got all this stuff in your mind. You got to memorize everything. The only cheat sheets you had and you came under lock and key was uh, you had a brevity code list, which was just little secret code words that meant different stuff that you could call in on the radio. So you didn't have a lot of radio traffic killing time. And then you had your uh, radio frequencies and your light recognition codes and stuff like that. Yeah. it's uh, The first book's pretty accurate.
1: Wow, I mean it so you, you didn't really have much training at all, it sounds like. No. To, no, what this was this was
2: we did a ninety day build up before we went up on the DMZ mission, but it wasn't uh, really it was just basically movement techniques that you were doing. They didn't really gear you for uh contact, moving to contact, uh where you're actually gonna meet the enemy, okay? So when you're out there in the DMZ, you you got to think fast. Think on your feet. You got to think fast. Okay, what you're gonna do? Because you're in a matter of seconds, gonna be over, and you could have some casualties in your in your patrol. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was an eye opener. You gotta either you did like me. When I first started off, I started off as an RTO, and then within about my second rotation up to the DMZ, they made me a patrolier. So, yeah, it was pretty fast.
1: Wow. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I had yeah. um, 12 people in um, Oh, okay. That that was going to be my next question. Is how many people were you actually responsible for? I think 12. We had 12.
2: 12, 12 got a minimum of six, but no less than six, okay? Because the Rock Army, the South Korean Army, was on the left and right of us. Uh, they ran four mm-hmm. man patrols okay and the north koreans when they come in they run four man patrols four three man okay mm-hmm. so if you guys run four man patrols everybody was shooting at each other so the us army came up with i 6 to 12 so
0: and i didn't want to go out
2: there with with six with less firepower i wanted i wanted to take as much firepower out there as I wanted as that i could have so i took 12 <laughs>
1: wow I'm afraid to ask how many men came back.
2: I had uh, one casualty of 385 patrols, and it was a, it was a peculiar story of uh, one of the guys, one of my dear friend of mine from '78. He um, switched patrol, switched places in the patrol with me before we went out, and I said, "Okay, we'll do that." And we got right up on the military demarcation line, which is just a line. There's no fence or nothing there. It's just you can walk over and they're correct.
0: Well, there was an ambush
2: sitting there maybe, I don't know, three, four feet off the MDL. And they opened up, and he took a a bullet to the through the heart, blew his heart out of his, his back. And uh, uh, he died in my arms, so. I'm sorry. But I got him out of it. I got him back to the world. I didn't leave, you know, that thing he said, don't, you don't ever leave nobody behind. We brought him back, so. That's that's a good deal. And we got out of that mess. That's the
1: only one I had. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, seriously, from that is great. And um why is the book cover so hardcore looking?
2: Uh the I made the that that's an actual patrol. That's call sign purple blue. That's the actual patrol that I went out with. Those guys are all real people, they're out here in the world. I know some of them are on Facebook and we've talked. Uh, but I couldn't come up with a better idea. That was the first book, and I said, "Well, you know, it's an autobiography, and it's about the patrol, so let's stick this picture." I've got that's a patrol picture that I have here with me in my uh, photo albums, and I just gave it to the uh, publisher and said, "Here, put this on the cover." So, I didn't mean it to look so hardcore, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think it's a perfect cover actually for what you're talking about. That's kind of how it was when you were out there by the sounds of it. Yeah.
2: Like. Yeah, we were – once you went past – once you loaded onto the patrol trucks, and we left through a guard post 128, which is the south barrier fence, once we went through there, um, you're basically your own entity. You have to support yourself. You got some fire support, some artillery that – or some uh, – mortar rounds, big uh, four-inch mortars that can be fired in there. But it takes an act of God to get them fired in there. So basically, it's just you guys. you and It'd be me and my patrol. That's us. We've got to survive. Uh, you know, if all that war was to break, one of my patrol members asked me, they said, Sergeant Hinto, what would you do if they blew by us right now? Would will, will we, we fight with them? I said, no, it's too, too big. There's too many of them. I said, we're just 12 people. I said, we lay low and let them blow by us and then work our way back to the Friendly lines and see if we all make it back there, then we'll be good. Then we continue fighting. So he said, he he was shocked. He goes, Man, you got all the answers. I said, No, I don't. (laughs) I said, Just got to be smart. (laughs) Right.
1: Now I'm looking at the picture on the cover. Are you guys carrying backpacks? And what what really, I mean, could you carry other than your rifle out there like that?
2: We we carried those are rucksacks and we were carrying those. Um, we had claymore mines. We were only supposed to carry two, but I carried four. I put two in the back and uh, back of the patrol and we settled in, and then two in the front. So I had, a, I had a, like a 360 of security around us. So somebody broke that perimeter, and I did one time fire the claymores on a, on a uh, North Korea, and we, that was a confirmed. So, but. We carried a lot of equipment in there, starlight clusters, uh, ammo. Uh, ammo was in your, in your ammo pouches, uh, but we carried uh, spare socks, and if it was wintertime, you had some cold-weather gear to keep warm because it didn't stop. Even when it was minus 40 up on a DMZ, you were out there patrolling, and you only could carry it. You know, they had certain equipment that you could take out there with you to keep warm. And if it's raining and you can only take your poncho with you or whatever, you, you had to rough it out. And we got a medic with us, and he carried a rucksack, and he carried his egg bag, and he had he had a combat. That's, this is why what gets me about people not saying that there was combat. This medic had morphine. He had all everything that a combat medic would have had if, if a guy would have lost his leg or got shot in the chest, that he could give this guy morphine, and then we could call an aircraft in and get him back out of there. Jeez. Okay, so, yeah, so, I mean, it was it was serious business. You know, a lot of these DMs you've actually talked to, they'll say, they'll, they'll tell you the serious side of it, but they'll joke with you a little bit because, you know, they, they went through it. They're used to it. I mean, they could probably put their boots on right now and go back out there and do it again. Okay, mm-hmm. I got a lot of respect for the the vets <coughs> that went up there. Well,
1: now, let's... Let's put yourself out there one more time. And how, how did the locals respond to the U.S. troops being there?
2: Well, north of the river, north of Freedom Bridge, the uh, the locals, there were not many up north, okay? You had Camp Greaves, which is a U.S. military installation. And then you had the JSA, which is a joint uh, UN uh, compound. And then you had Liberty Bell, which was another part of uh, Camp Greaves. And that was it. You didn't have very many civilians, okay? You only had civilians up there that worked at Warrior Base or worked at Liberty Bell or Greaves. And they had to be cleared through MID to be to get a pass to go across the river because the threat of, it, at that time it was 33 years, I guess, or you know, something like that, 20, 33 years, I'm going to say. I know Koreans had a long time to set up their... Uh, If they wanted to, an espionage ring, they could have had set one up and they would have had the people already in place. You see what I'm saying? So they're kind of, they should be real, they should have been real strict about who was going up north and who was not going up north, other than GIs. Mm. Wow. One of my guys guys asked me, how can we tell, if we're up here, how can we tell who's who? I said, we can't. I said, can you tell the difference between a South Korean and North Korean? The only thing is going to give them away is their uniform. What if they dress in one of a South Korean uniform and we got they and we're with South Koreans that are in uniform? How are we gonna tell who's who? Right. So it it's it's quite a mess, okay? It's it's quite a mess what, what we were into there. You know, it, it was it was keep your mouth shut, eyes and ears open. It's in other words. Don't talk about anything that you don't need to be talking about to anybody that might be listening. Just keep your ears open and your eyes open and see who's watching you.
1: Right. My goodness. I, you know, just picture myself in your shoes, and I I could never have done that. You have to be a certain person, that's for sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um... It was it was an experience. I'm telling you, I, it changed my life. After about, you know, I I was there from '78 to '91, and about '84, I was at First 38 Camp Hovey with an old sergeant major of mine, and uh, we went up to he took me up to the DMZ, and he looked at me and he said, "Mark, he goes, you've been doing this, you do a great job of what you do up here." He goes. We, he goes. I got all. He goes. But you need to get off of here. He goes. Your 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 eyes. He goes. Your your actions. He goes. You're just. You. In other words, what he's saying is, is, your time's coming. And it's going to happen. It's probably going to happen up here. He goes. You're just. You're too good at what you do. So, and I said. I said. What do you mean? He goes. Well, I'm going to pull you off. He put me back in a brigade tactical operations center from 86 to 91. They control the DMZ. We got all the reports. The only problem was that everybody that was in that talk, in that tactical Operations Command, never been up on mm-hmm. the DMZ, never had any experience. So Gee. they didn't know actually what was going on.
1: Wow. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. no. When, when did you start writing your book?
2: The first book I started in, uh, believe it or not, 08 or 09, I think it was 08. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not a writer by hand, okay? I'm just, it's just a hobby for me. Uh, I, uh, I, I hadn't picked at it for a while, stopped, you know, came back to it and left and came back to it. Finally, I finished it. I didn't think it was that good, so uh, I I sent it to a publisher, and, and they said they'd publish it, and I got it out published. And then I started passing it around, and people kind of liked it, but it, the deal wasn't like you said. Nobody knows about the DMZ, so they don't understand what this book's about.
1: Right. Well, they definitely have to find out by getting your book. Now, where, where where can they find your book? We have about three minutes left. I really want you to get this information out there. Everyone, grab a pen and paper. Write this down. Yeah, they, where You can find his.
2: The uh, Call Sign Purple 3 and the other book, Def CON 4, uh, Korea, Land of the Morning Com, Those are available anywhere on the net, okay? The cheapest place to probably get them is at Amazon. The publisher for uh, Call Sign Purple 3 is iUniverse. And the other one is, Def Con 4 is lulu.com. But I'd say, you know, if you walk into a a bookstore and order it, they'll have it for you. It's It's print on demand, they'll have it for you in a couple of days and you'll have it like that. You can get it that way or Ordered through the net. What I want to do is eventually with the DEF CON 4 book, because I packed it with a bunch of information and a bunch of action, I'd like to go and try if I could get somebody to get interested in making a movie into this. I think that if I get on a big screen, this would knock down the walls for these other vets so that they could get their benefits and stuff, so people would finally realize what's going on
1: out there. That's right. I I think it, it. I'll definitely send it out to some of my producer friends and see what they Great. think about yeah, it. yeah, I
2: appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate and Mark, it. Yeah, because... yeah. Well, we, unfortunately, we are running out of time, but I just want to say thank you, Mark Heathco, for coming on tonight and talking about his book and what he's been through and some more experiences. And hopefully we can have you on again because I know you've got so much more to talk about and your other you have other books, too. So, yeah. at some point, we'll have to have you back on. How do you feel about that?
2: That's, that sounds great to me. Just let me know when, and I'll be here. I'm available all the time.
1: So, Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate you joining me tonight. And you all, just stay tuned right before we say goodbye to Mark. Just hold on one second, Mark. I'm just going to play a little word from our sponsor, okay?
2: All righty.
0: This episode is brought to you by IprepGenius.com. Genius believes every child is capable of genius. We seek to help teachers select the exact apps geared towards common core learning standards that maximize a child's potential to learn. For more information, visit IprepGenius.com.
1: Mark, once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be in touch.
2: All righty. Hey, thank you again. I really appreciate the chance to tell my story. I, I really do. Thank you.
1: Well, you're very welcome. Okay, everyone, we were just talking with author Mark Heathcote. Check him out. He's got his book out there called Call Sign Purple 3 and DEF CON 4, which I hope, Mark, we can talk to you again about. How We'll go we'll okay, right into great. the DEF CON 4. <laughs>
2: all right. Yeah, it sounds
1: good. Right. Great. Thanks, everybody. Excellent. Well, yeah, thank you. And we will see you all again. If you want to join in tonight, I will be on the Brian and Sherry Show, which will be starting at 9 o'clock right on Facebook, Brian Sherry Show. You can check us out. And I'll mention this show tonight on there as well. So if you – want to catch up on any links you'll see it on brian sherry show on facebook all right everyone have yourself a good night thanks good for night. listening
0: thanks for listening to this episode of sherry clip for more information visit us online at www.briansherryshow.com or facebook.com forward slash clip. see you next time
1: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.